Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. And if you're not ready for HR and payroll, we got tons of free content on our website. So make sure to go check us out. Do you need more happiness in your life? Well, you're about to be inspired as you listen to this interview with Amy Newmark. Amy's the co-author, editor-in-chief, and publisher of the very well-known Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. And in this episode, we're talking about Amy's new book, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, 101 Real-Life Stories That Will Show You How to Improve Your Life. Amy talks about how to cultivate happiness and share some of the most eye-opening stories from her latest publication. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. We can never have enough information on how to be more happy. I hope you find a lot of great takeaways from this episode. Make sure to connect with Amy all across social media. I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I love connecting with listeners. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. It's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to talk about your new book. It's called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, 101 Real-Life Stories That Will Show You How to Improve Your Life. So for those that don't know what Chicken Soup of the Soul is, it's been around for a long time. Tell listeners about that series. Sure. It's been around for 29 years, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of your listeners grew up with Chicken Soup for the Preteen Soul and Chicken Soup for the Teenage Soul may not be aware that we're there for them as adults also. You know, it's not just for kids. Um, In fact, the vast majority of our books are for adults and not just for your grandmother. They're for adults of all ages. But what we do is we collect stories from ordinary people who basically share their extraordinary experiences with us, their milestone moments, their epiphanies. They pass on wisdom and advice When you sit down with one of our books, it's almost like you're sitting down for coffee with our storytellers and they're leaning in and they're saying, hey, this is what happened to me and this is what I learned from it and I just want you to know in case it helps you. So it's really like selfless sharing that our writers do and it's been amazing for me. I've been the editor-in-chief for 14 years, so I have read tens of thousands of stories the ones that we've published, plus all the ones that were published prior to me joining Chicken Soup for the Soul, plus a whole bunch of ones that we didn't publish, but were still really good reads. I sometimes feel like I'm a psychologist who's read a lot of case studies because, I mean, you really start to understand what makes people tick when you read tens of thousands of personal stories. You know, everybody wants happiness. I mean, that's the universal quest. And so I thought about this, I guess maybe six or nine months ago, and I thought we're going to have a fresh start in 2022. You know, it's like we're all kind of rebooting now, coming out of the worst of the pandemic. Like it's still going on, but we're getting used to it now and it's not as bad and we're coping. And so I really feel like it's the beginning of the school year or something. You know, it really is a fresh start. And I thought, let me put together what I've learned in this quest for happiness. And I wrote down what I felt were the 10 keys to happiness that have helped me because 
I used to be a Wall Street person and very stressed out. And then I switched to doing this, which is a real departure. And everybody says to me that I'm just so much more relaxed now. And I definitely am more grounded and less judgmental, more understanding of what makes people do what they do. And it's all because of reading all of these stories. So what I've attempted to do in your 10 Keys to Happiness is synthesize all of that knowledge and put together this book with 10 chapters on the 10 keys. And in each chapter, there are 10 stories that illustrate to you how you could use one of these 10 keys in your own life. And the cool thing is that you can change your life just by implementing one of these keys to happiness. You don't have to do five of them or all 10 of them. One will be enough. And before we dive into this, I'm, I'm very curious how you collect all of these stories that you've had, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of books, right? Over the course of the chicken soup for this whole series. So how does that submission process happen? And then are you reading personally all of the stories? I read all of the semi-finalists, but that's only about 300 stories. And we get thousands of stories submitted for each book. So I have a whole team of readers who have been with us for years who know what makes for a good chicken soup for the soul story. And the way it works is that on our website, chickensoup.com, you can click on submit your story, and then you'll see the different topics that we're working on right now. And there's there are writing guidelines that I wrote to show you how you create good narrative nonfiction. And there's this form to fill out and there's this little box that's like an inch high on your computer screen, but it will hold your entire Word document. <laughs> it's like, you know, Mary Poppins' magic bag. It, it vastly expands when necessary. So people, you know, will submit. Sometimes they get in on their first try. Sometimes they don't get in until their 10th try. I mean, it's a big deal to get into one of our books. And by the way, you don't have to be a great writer. As long as you have a really good story to tell, I'm happy to choose your story for the plot and then edit your story for you and make it terrific. And then you'll be a published author. And I would just say, if I edited your story a lot, don't quit your day job. <laughs> right. Did you always want to write the 10 keys of happiness? Or you, you kind of mentioned like we're coming through this reboot period with pandemic sort of behind us. Was that the reason you wanted to do the 10 keys of happiness? Or is it just all the, the stories that you read over time, you felt like, I generally know what the 10 keys are, and here's what I want to share it with everybody now at this point. I did a book called Simply Happy six years ago, and that had a lot of the same material in it, but it was more of a personal memoir, and I really wanted to do this as a real normal chicken soup for the soul book with 101 stories in it. And I thought about doing it last year, but we were still so deep in the pandemic. It just didn't seem like the right time. I really wanted to do it during a time when it did seem viable that we were looking at a fresh start. I feel like people are ready for this right now. They're totally ready. Like, I don't know about your place, but we're back to hybrid, you know, three days a week in the office, two days working at home. And that's working for us. I don't think we're ever going back to five days a week in the office. With this hybrid approach, you know, we're actually like finding our pants that have zippers, putting shoes back on and, you know, <laughs> trying to look a little less unkempt than we did for the last two years. You know, it, it really is like coming out into the sunshine from the hole that we were in. Absolutely. What are the 10 keys that you came up with? Oh boy. The first one is count your blessings, which is, you know, be aware of what's good in your life instead of just focusing on what you lack. 
Second key is to use the power of forgiveness to free you from those past hurts and resentments that are just weighing you down. My third key is to help someone else because when you volunteer or even donate money, you kind of elevate yourself and you feel better about yourself. Fourth key is to have less stuff, and that would be at home and at the office. The office could use a good decluttering too. Fifth key is to think positive. I know that sounds kind of banal, but I actually have real things you can do. Like even if it's a really grumpy day and you feel terrible, smile at people. It's amazing. They will react to you in a more positive manner and all of a sudden you'll be doing better. Uh, My sixth key is to make sure that you prioritize yourself and make that very necessary me time. Seventh key, and this, this has been really important for me because I'm older than you. And when you get older, you tend to get too narrow. Step outside your comfort zone. Do things that are scary. Never stop saying yes to new experiences. My eighth key is to be yourself. Be more of what makes you, you. Don't try to be someone else. Ninth key is pursue your passion. So if your job isn't your passion and it's just what you do from nine to five to you know pay the bills, well, make sure you pursue your passion after work or on weekends. And my 10th, and I think this one everybody gets because of the pandemic, get outside in nature. Boy, does that make a difference to our perspective, right? When you see a squirrel running around and the squirrel is busily doing stuff, you realize like whatever challenges you have are unimportant. Like that squirrel is working on acorns and he's just as important as you are. It really puts you in the right place in the universe. Yeah. I love these 10 keys. I think they're, I think they're spot on. I could not disagree with any of them. What if any of them like stuck out to you as being the most important, like one or maybe one or two? I think that counting your blessings is very important because I'm not sure you can be happy if you don't recognize what's good in your life. And then I think forgiveness is really important too, because in our home lives and at work, resentments build up, people disappoint us, they hurt us, and we kind of get slapped around by life, you know, and certain people are not our favorite people, or they did things that were not our favorite incidents. And we have this tendency to brood And to relive those, which is crazy because then we're letting the person who did those things to us occupy some of our mind space, right? And we have a story in the book from a woman who was so focused on her ex-husband that she was complaining about him for years after her divorce. And finally, her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the man. You take him with you wherever you go. It was such an epiphany. And the same thing at work. I mean, I used to think about that, like somebody who had done me wrong, and I would be thinking about it for years. And then I realized, wait, I'm just reliving those emotions. You can intellectually know those things happened, but there is no reason why you should let that person make you keep feeling those negative emotions. Instead, say, yeah, it happened. It was in the past, and I am not carrying it with me into my present and into my future. Well, especially because the other person's probably already moved on. And so if, if you're sitting there thinking about it and it's occupying your space, that's... Yeah, the other person might not even know that they actually did it. They might have been clueless. Yeah, that's so true. What of the 101 stories that you've put in this book, what one sticks out to you the most and what, what does it fall under as far as the 10 keys? So one of the keys is to make me time. And I think that's so important, especially if you're working, you've got to carve out some time for yourself. And that could be carving out time after work or maybe even carving out time during the workday. So we had a story from Christine Byron, and she had one of those shared calendar things going on where other people could insert meetings onto her calendar. And she was fully booked all the time, and it was killing her. And then 
her mentor said to her, you need lily pads. So you know how a frog jumps onto a lily pad and then it suns itself and relaxes for a little while? Her mentor said, put some fake appointments on your calendar and those are your lily pads where you can just breathe and relax a little bit in the middle of your busy day. So I thought that that was a really great solution to the problem. And I guess another one that would be good is taking a vacation all by yourself. Some people do that, or even just taking a mental health day and taking one day off from work just to turn off your phone and not be available at all. Because you're not going to be any good to anybody if you burn out anyway. Yeah, the making me time was one I wanted to to hone in on because I, I resonate with it. I know a lot of other people can too. I mean, especially during the pandemic, where a lot of people went from working in an office environment to working at home and everybody's home situation is different. For me, my wife and my two kids are both at home as well. And so even when I'm working, it's like every second of every day, you feel like you're like hovering on top of each other all the time. And I'm curious if there's a story in the book that would help somebody like me who is just always around people all the time connected to work, connected to family, where I could make me time for myself? Well, you could certainly just decide that you're actually going to take lunch. I do. I do that. (laughs) You do take lunch? So you carved that out for yourself? Oh, okay. Well, that's good. I mean, I know when we were working at home full time, I would just look at my calendar and say like, I can squeeze 45 minutes in right now. And of course I was already wearing my exercise clothing. So I would just get on my bike and I would go ride my bike for 45 minutes And it was just fabulous. I loved it. And I also lost 10 pounds. So I was reducing stress, getting fit. It was so much fun. It really was. And I'm going to start doing that again this summer. I did that last summer uh, and the summer before, actually. I think you just have to be a little bit selfish. You've got to carve out that time for yourself. Otherwise, you just become miserable. You start to resent your job, right? And you resent all the people in your life. I just feel to be mentally healthy, you have to carve out that time. Make those lily pads for yourself. Yeah, I think it's great advice. Was there anything else from that particular section with making me time that you learned that maybe you didn't know before, but you read in a, in a story and you're like, wow, I should try this. Or even if you recommend it to other people. Yeah. One woman, I thought this was really interesting. She worked at an inn, so she didn't have, you know, like Saturdays off. So her days off were Sundays and Mondays. And Sundays she spent with her husband and they just did stuff together. That was like their couple day. Because sometimes you need we time, so you need couple time. And then sometimes you need me time. So she did her we time on Sundays And then Mondays were her me time where she would do anything she wanted. If she wanted to read in her pajamas all day, she would do that. If she wanted to go shopping, she would do that. If she wanted to go to a museum, she would do that. She just wouldn't let work interfere with that day. So I know it's hard to do that, but I do it now for myself. Like now that we're back in the office and we have, you know, more regular hours, I've told my entire team, nobody's working on weekends. We're just not going to. And I keep thinking, oh, I should go to my computer, do that project. It would only take an hour. And then I say, no, it has to wait until Monday. And it's really effective. Yeah, the separation is really important. I think it's good. I think it's good that you encourage your team to do that. And of course, you know, if you're leading a team of people, it's important that you practice that as well. So because they're always watching, right? They're, they're seeing what you're doing as well. And they're going to probably copy what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. My policy now is no weekend work. No reason to. And we work so efficiently during the week. That's enough. That's great. 
One of the keys that I wanted to hone in on was having less stuff. In this environment, it's it's hard to get away from because, you know, the American dream, um, most of our audiences in, in the United States. So, you know, we're always looking to grow, have more stuff. And um, there's a couple stories that I think illustrate the having less stuff, the story about the right dream. Can you share what that story is about and, and how that fits into this? Sure. Yeah. So Pam Free, she and her husband were really successful. They worked really hard and they had a fancy house and fancy possessions, but they were working all of the time to make the money to have the fancy house and all the material possessions. And they didn't really have anything else in their lives except work. And then their company failed. They both lost their jobs and they lost the house. They lost a lot of their possessions. They basically had to start over with nothing. Their credit rating was ruined. So now they pay cash for everything. They own a much smaller home outright. They own way fewer possessions, but they have no debt. They are so much happier than when they were basically in the rat race to have the fancy house and the fancy possessions. I mean, I have read thousands of stories from people who lost everything and were so much happier after they lost everything. I think that possessions just weigh you down. You know, they're just, I mean, my husband and I moved in December and we culled and culled and culled from the old house. Even though we were moving into a larger house, we still culled. We were trying to move to the new house which was twice as big as the old house with half the possessions. Really? Oh, so it was pretty empty. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were really trying. And because ironically, we have much smaller closets in our new house than we had in our old house. And now in our new house, he and I are both still getting rid of so much stuff. I have a whole car full of clothing now that we're still getting rid of. We may have nothing left to wear if we keep up like this. I mean, we're just getting rid of everything, but it feels so great to have less stuff. And we had a guy... John Buentello wrote a story called The Liberation of Liquidation. And so this couple moved from a full house to a one-bedroom apartment. And so they were going to put all kinds of stuff in storage. And then they realized, well, that's stupid. We're never going to use it. Everybody who puts stuff in storage later says that was a really big waste of my money and time because the stuff comes out of storage and they look at it and say, I didn't even remember I had that. But anyway, they took everything that was slated to go into storage and they got rid of it and moved into this little one bedroom apartment. They were so happy, so excited about having less stuff. And I think it holds true for the work environment also. Like I came back into my office after not being here for two years and I threw away pail after pail after pail of garbage. I threw away so much stuff because all of a sudden I had religion and I had to cull everything in my workplace as well. And we've been doing that in this big storage closet that we have here. We're throwing away as much as we can get away with in our office building. Smart. Since we're talking about the workplace a little bit, um, I think free yourself of forgiveness is one of the 10 keys. Is there any stories that illustrate forgiveness in the workplace or even if you have any tips for people about how to be happier with respect to forgiveness? Yeah, I think that the key when you're dealing with somebody who wrongs you, insults you, disappoints you in some way is to just look through and see, okay, why is the person acting that way? And usually you'll see that that person is very insecure or has some other issues of their own. And then you have to do this kind of superiority thing, like, 
oh, I'm glad I'm not that person. I'm glad I'm not that insecure. I mean, that's okay though, because it works. It works if you actually say to yourself, I'm so glad that I'm me. And that's what I've done. I mean, I remember one time being in a conference room. I was in my early 30s and I was working as an investment banker and the head of trading at this brokerage firm started screaming at me with like 50 traders, all men in this uh, conference room because this stock that I had done investment banking for had gone down, which had nothing to do with me, you know, the fact that the stock had gone down. And he's just screaming at me. And I just looked at him and basically disassociated from the experience and just thought, wow, I'm so glad I'm not that guy. <laughs> he was making a total fool of himself, sure, really. Yeah. You know, and here's the funny thing. Years later, I was offered the vice chairmanship of that brokerage firm. And I, I almost took it because I said, oh, I, get to, I, I, I could fire that guy. <laughs> but then I didn't do it. But I thought about it. You know, revenge served right. cold. <laughs> But I didn't let it bother me when it was happening. I just kind of dispassionately watched him and thought, boy, he's really being an idiot. And I'm not. So um, I'm not really going to let him hurt me in any way. I'm just going to observe this man acting crazy. But it really does help if you pay attention to what motivates somebody because then you don't take it personally. I think almost all of the insults, hurts, disappointments, et cetera, that we pick up through our lives are not really personal to us. It's really just an expression of, whatever problem that other person is going through. And there's just no point carrying this stuff around with us. I like to think of lack of forgiveness as if you're wearing this heavy cloak and you've sewn onto the cloak all those bad things. So now you've got these metal disappointments on the cloak and you're, you're trying to walk forward and you can't walk because this heavy thing is pulling you, but it's behind you because it's in your past. So just leave it there. Take that cloak off and walk forward. Well said, yeah. So if, if somebody picks up the, your book, and by the way, I think by the time we're recording this, it comes out tomorrow, if I remember right. How should somebody read this book and then even take some of the stories and apply it to their life? So I picked stories that I thought were very relatable. So I'm sure you're going to find stories that will work for you. Everybody should find stories that will work for them. Some people like to read our books one story a day, you know, for 101 days. You know, just read one, kind of digest it go to bed thinking about it, and then read another one the next day. Some people say, no, I kind of read your book like I eat potato chips. I just go right through, you know, and they're, they're like, I finished it at three in the morning. It was great. So everybody has a different way of doing it. You could certainly look at the chapters and decide which of those keys to happiness seems like something you would actually want to implement. Some of these things you can implement in one second, like counting your blessings. That's just a matter of saying, wait a minute, I'm going to write down three things a day that I'm happy about or that I feel blessed by. And in a week or two, you will actually have transformed yourself because you'll be spending every day looking for the three things you're going to write on your list. And writing those three things on your list at night will take you maybe 60 seconds. So that's a really easy one. The forgiveness one is really easy because you can decide in one second to put that thing in the past and stop carrying it around with you. And then some of the other ones take a little more time, like stepping outside your comfort zone. You need to start saying yes to new things and going and trying those new things. So I think you just look at it and see what you think might work for you or where you think that you're more deficient in how you're conducting your life. Yeah, I agree. 
Amy, this has been such a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Best of luck with the book. The book is called Chicken Soup for the Soul, Your 10 Keys to Happiness. Where can people learn more about you, pick up the book, anything that you want to point people to? I have a website, amynewmark.com, which honestly, I don't even look at because somebody <laughs> maintains it for me, <laughs> but it's there. And then also there's chickensoup.com, which is our regular website. And you can see this book on the website. You'll see the front cover and the back cover, and you can read more about what's inside it. And you can click on our podcast and just learn all about Chicken Soup for the Soul there. My guest today has been Amy Newmark. Amy, thanks for being part of the show. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me on. 